Hello, and welcome to Calming the Chaos, where we present tips, tools, and techniques to help you find peace in a chaotic world. I'm your host, Tracy Canella, licensed mental health counselor at Lokahi Counseling. This channel and the Calming the Chaos podcast is for those who want self-help and education. It's not a substitute for counseling or psychotherapy. So if you like the information, please subscribe to my channel and share it with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. And now, let the chaos begin. Well, hello there. And here we are live on YouTube and Facebook, I believe. Welcome all one of you. Thanks for joining. I am so excited about today. And today I have one of my colleagues. Her name is Sarah Buino, and she is a licensed clinical social worker, and she's from the Chicago area. She and I are going to talk about childhood trauma, trauma, and ways that people can heal, and probably a bunch of other things because she is enormously talented in a variety of different areas. And so I would like to just give you a little bit as people come in of an idea of Sarah's background. She is a speaker, she's a business owner and a therapist. She also has two podcasts and I've linked to those podcasts below. One is called Conversations with a Wounded Healer and the other one is Transforming Trauma. And she is really very skilled and educated in doing work with people who have been hurt. <laughs> and, and that's what it's all about. Like trauma causes hurt and pain and what we try and do is with any kind of chaos, which is what my channel is about, if it's about trauma or if it's about anything else, what we try and do is heal it and not like it's going to go away. And yet there are things we can do to be able to soothe it so that it doesn't affect our lives in such a way that our life domains are affected and we can't work or we can't relate to each other and anyway and so i'm really happy to have her here today she is waiting by i'm gonna go ahead if i could get the head nods sarah i will bring you up all right here is sarah sarah welcome to calming the chaos thank you happy to be here Right. Yeah. I know I did not give you a good enough introduction. I, I know I'm leaving something out. So can you just please tell us about yourself and what you do? Sure. My practice is called Head Heart Therapy and it is in Chicago. And we really started out specializing in addiction. And I also wanted the staff to all have some sort of um, additional healing modality. I'm a Reiki practitioner. We've got an art therapist. We've got dance movement therapists. We have people who do hypnosis and all sorts of other, other things because healing really isn't just about talking about what you've gone through. Sometimes it's about feeling. Uh, sometimes it's about moving and sometimes it's about singing or, or whatever it is. 
So that's that's really what Head Heart is all about. And uh, I think you covered most of the rest of the stuff. Yeah, I know. I, I read that you practice psychodrama and I've been trained in that too. So I don't know how much you do that with the whole online. I don't know if you're practicing online or if you're having any in-person clients, but no. I've wondered how psychodrama might work online and if you might be doing that. Honestly, I don't have a lot of deep training in psychodrama. It's kind of like I've done experiential trainings, which had components of psychodrama. And I did, uh, I did one full weekend of psychodrama, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not a psychodramatist. I don't claim to be that. But yeah, I, I would be really interested to see how it would work as well. No. Yeah. So are you predominantly doing things online right now and 100%. having to, okay. All right. So no in-person clients. And mm -hmm. so you're able to maneuver and all of these like music therapy and all of the stuff that you use uh, from your, your training, you're able to do in an online platform. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, primarily I'm utilizing NARM in my sessions, which I, I know that you wanted to talk a lot about that. So I can I can deconstruct what, what NARM is, but you know, I think you don't necessarily have to, you know, I, I'm not a music therapist, but I'm a musician and a therapist, and so I can incorporate it. You know, I don't have to be playing music with a client. I don't have to be making music with a client to use music as metaphors, you know, have people speak to a, a song that is meaningful to them, right? It doesn't have to be quite so like what we would normally think of in terms of using expressive arts and therapy in order to be effective. We can still do those things online. Right. Yeah. And and so you don't have to be, you're right, you don't have to be a music therapist or even a person who is a psychodrama specialist in order to do those sorts of things in therapy. And I think that one of the things that I've done is I always bring it back to the whole cognitive stuff, like where we form our beliefs and, and how we are able to reform those beliefs, whether it be through music or whether it be through psychodrama and some of the energy healing techniques, we do have these beliefs that we have about ourselves and our worlds that can be reformed, restructured. And uh, so that's how I'm able to do it when I do hypnotherapy and any kind of other sort of modalities to help people heal from, from past traumas. And so I'm really anxious to hear about how you are treating, who are the people who you're treating and what you are doing in, in your therapy sessions. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll back up a little bit and explain what NARM is, since that's the primary modality that I'm using nowadays. So it's it stands for neuroaffective relational model. And I do just want to put the disclaimer out there that I am I'm not a spokesperson for NARM. I'm just a person who happens to be the podcast host for them. And I am getting trained in it and have been getting my own NARM therapy. So so just a disclaimer that that is where I'm speaking from is my own experience. But NARM is really focused on supporting folks working through really early childhood trauma. So some of it even, you know, pre-verbal, prenatal, you know, generational trauma. And it's, let's see, it's, it's such a complex model, but also simple at the same time. So it's hard to describe, but essentially NARM says that 
it's not really the things that happened to us in childhood, but it's the survival strategies that we that we use to get through childhood that we bring into our adult lives that really get in the way of being whatever version of ourselves that we really want to be and really being in contact with the full aliveness of ourselves. And, and in order to do that, it's, it's very much present moment focused, right? You would think that a trauma modality would be like, oh, go back and tell me all about the trauma. But we can support people in healing and not really even talk about the trauma necessarily. It's, it's so cool. That is really cool. I would love to hear more about that. And it's, it sounds kind of like with, with that is that you even go back to in the womb kind of things, right? Like what we call, uh, so we call womb issues and then there's birth issues. There's things that happen to the physical body in the womb and even through birth and then beyond that as we are walking, talking human beings, right? So I did not know that about NARM. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really, it's it's interesting because it's a, it's an embodied model and somatic and you know, it's, it's talking like if you were to watch a session, you might be like, nothing is happening here, but it's really, it's a, it's an energetic and embodied experience. So when we talk about, you know, pre, pre birth, prenatal trauma, it's, it's, it's not always like, oh, the mother did this and then something happened or like, oh, there was a complication with your birth. Sometimes really it's, you know, how did the mother feel about being pregnant? How did the mother feel like, you know, how, what was the conception like and what was the energy um, that went into creating this life, right? So, so many things that, that, of course, you would never necessarily have words for that, right? And you wouldn't even potentially know if you were an unwanted child, right? It can be very, very subtle. Mm -hmm. And then there's others who actually know about their unwantedness mm -hmm. or how like you were a surprise and right. how the uh, adults around people or, you know, when when the adults are reacting in a certain way. Mm -hmm. uh, I just know that was true with my own story is that the, mm -hmm. that my mom was was only uh, 17 years old when she conceived me and it was mm -hmm. a real big surprise. And so yeah. I, I grew up knowing that story. Some people don't know this, the stories around their birth and around what happened before the birth, but how do you work with people who come in and just sort of want to work through their pain and their, their trauma, I guess, with, with this norm? Do you, do you have to ask them uh, about their past situations or what their future goals are? And then again, the, the present moment focus. How, how are you yeah. able to meet people? Well, a NARM session always begins with tell me what you want for yourself or what's your heart's desire is another way to ask that. And NARM intends really to not be goal focused. So it's, it's again, it's kind of it's kind of hard to describe, but people want to move towards health, right? People want to be connected to their aliveness. But at the same time, that's also very threatening if you're somebody who was punished for connecting to your aliveness, let's say. And, and so we want to support people moving into states of being such as like peaceful or calm or um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of, of, of other ones, but 
instead of like, I want to accomplish XYZ goals, that's that's not what we do in NARM. So if somebody would say, I want to, I have a goal of finishing writing my book. The next question would be, how would you like to feel once you finish writing your book? Mm -hmm. I'd like to feel free or unburdened or or proud of myself, right? Something like that. So that would be the, the contract that we go for at, at the beginning of the session. And then oftentimes we look at what gets in the way of experiencing that state. And that's where that's where some of the, the pieces of history come out. But really the questions are very much focused on like, what is it like for you to, to tell me this right now? What are you experiencing internally? Um, what are the messages that are coming up that you're telling yourself right now about this experience? Right. I know a lot of uh, the clients that I work with just want to be happy. And mm -hmm. if we can go through our lives and whatever goals that we want, we can just be. So it sounds like your focus uh, in NARM anyway, is to help people to focus on what they want to be or what they want to experience in their lives, which is so cool. Mm -hmm. Well, it's really, it's really more looking at the things that get in the way because we're really deconstructing and trying to strip away the the identifications that we have for ourselves right and and we we often like as humans we love to think we know things and put things into categories and and that can actually be part of what gets in the way of of truly being happy and you know i i would probably i've always kind of differentiated happiness and contentment and think happiness is like birthdays and like celebrating and something really exciting. And whereas contentment is just like that, just good state of being just like general goodness. Yeah. That sense of peace or contentment, like you said, yeah. I, I like that a lot better for sure. And uh, so when your private practice, when you see people, do they come to you with help uh, about present life difficulties that they're having and then you find out in the process of working with them that they have some past trauma i think everybody has trauma i mean i, I really truly don't think that there's a human alive right now maybe, I mean, maybe like really young people who have really actualized parents but um i haven't yet met a, a client who doesn't have some sort of trauma but of course you know people always come in with the presenting problem being like oh i I have difficulty getting in relationships or I'm having marital problems or, you know, I, I tend to work with a lot of people struggling with addiction or they have family members who are struggling with addiction. Right. And so um, I, and I, I'm always very honest with people that they may come in saying that they want this very specific thing. And I believe that in, in working with, with folks around trauma and around NARM, what we want for ourselves is kind of a byproduct that kind of magic it's not magic but it, it feels sometimes like it magically appears out of doing the work that might not be laser focused on the thing that you think you came in for yeah so you are a certified addictions counselor and a registered dual diagnosis professional so that means you work with people who have mental health issues and chemical mm -hmm. dependency issues at the same time right mm -hmm. well who doesn't have both i mean the fact that it's ever been separated is kind of dumb honestly <laughs> but yes <laughs> i love that you said that i've always thought that but it's one of those things that we're sometimes as therapists we're not brave enough to say so thank you 
For sure. Yeah. Cause I work with eating disorders and when they talk about dual diagnosis, it's like, duh, yeah. this is going to happen. Right. right. So yeah. mm -hmm. uh, mental health issues and other sort of uh, diagnoses are going to go hand in hand for sure. Yep. So, and when we think about people who come in, the, the bodies who come into our offices for help, and we think of the people who want help for whatever they're struggling with and the connection with with trauma, I, I guess, and you may see it a different way. And this is why I just love having this conversation with you is I see that there's abuse and I see there's neglect. And I also see that there's household things that could have happened and probably anything else on the spectrum that could have happened to this person in front of me who's in my office. And, and uh, so I'm just wondering about how you are able to uh, reassure people who have trauma that they're in a safe space in your office? Well, actually, it might not be a safe space. And I say that not to be contrary, but it's it's not necessarily my job to keep people safe. And I, I hope I hope that makes sense because I can't give someone safety. Safety is often created within. And when people struggle with trauma, they, they struggle to find that safety within themselves. All I can do is, is try to reflect back to the person what it is that they want for themselves, right? And sometimes, sometimes the thing that we want for ourselves, we are actually the only ones in our way of, of getting that. Um, at the same time, I, I want to speak too to more uh, systemic issues that happen too, right? So, you know, folks who are people of color move through the world in a very different way than us white people do. And there are things that happen in, in the world that create to that lack of safety. So, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it's about relative safety, right? Is, is, there, is there a person who's more safe than somebody else? Is there a place in your neighborhood that feels more safe than someplace else? For somebody with chronic pain, is there a specific place in your body that doesn't experience that pain, right? Like it's, it's, if it were my job to create a safe space for everyone, I would have to continue to change myself in order to meet the client. But really mm. the invitation is that I, I'm, I'm going to, to resonate with you. I'm going to empathize with you. Um, and I'm going to continue to reflect what you want for yourself. Yeah. Just being that presence that's just consistently there. Yeah. And I guess the reason that I asked about safety is because a lot of people that I've encountered, your experience might be different, but they're, they're just wanting to be able to process some stuff. And uh, many of them aren't willing to open up and that's okay. Uh, I, I look at it kind of like that hall closet that has maybe a lot of junk in it and you don't want to open the door because you might get hit on the head with a mop or something. Right. And uh, so the, when you look at trauma, people may not really feel like they want to go there and others, I don't know, this is kind of what I have experienced is some people really want to go there and other people mm -hmm. really do not want to go there. And so that's <laughs> one of the reasons why I talked about uh, safety. And I guess what you were saying is, is that, you know, uh, by just being present with that person and not assuring them of safety, they get to create their own safe space within themselves, which is really mm -hmm. a good skill building uh, experience, don't you think? 
Right. Well, it gives the agency back to the client because in, in trauma, often our agency is taken away from us and we don't get the the experience of being able to ask for what we need and have those needs be met. And so that's that's really kind of the stance that we try to take in NARM is is again, it's not like I'm not giving agency to a client, but I'm creating space for the client to step into that. Yeah. No, that's great. I appreciate hearing that. And I'm really uh, very interested in where you got your training for NARM. I guess it's probably a, uh, it is a, an institute, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. The NARM yeah. Training Institute. Yep. They are really killing it right now. They're doing tons of trainings and they have um, actually this weekend, if anybody's like super into it and they want to do it, there's an online basics training. Um, so there are four different levels of the training right now. There's the online basics, there's the clinical training for therapists. And then once you do that, you can do the master's and the post-master's training. So I'm in the master's and, and post-master's right now. And it, it's it's kind of like a choose your own adventure. You can go as far as you want to go with it. But they, it's I'm I'm really, I feel very blessed to be connected to the organization and to have learned as much about my personal story as I, I was a therapist who never thought I had trauma because I didn't come from a family where there was overt abuse. There was no overt addiction until later. Um, you know, it, it wasn't obvious to me what I experienced in my childhood and NARM really shone a light on on the shadows and it was so crucial to my healing and so as a uh, going through it the training in NARM you were able to work through some of this stuff that you've experienced in your childhood part of it was going through the training and getting the knowledge of of what really happened but a lot of it was in my own personal therapy mm -hmm. um but it I, it really was truly being able to put my finger on some of the things that happened that I didn't have words for before. Like if I can just share, for instance, cause I I've heard, I've shared this before and other people have resonated. Um, the, I consider myself a sexual abuse survivor, but I wasn't, nobody raped me. I, I didn't, nobody touched me inappropriately necessarily. Um, but my dad was, basically a sex addict. And I truthfully, I don't even really like that term because I think it can be kind of shaming, but he used sexual energy really inappropriately. And it was very clear to me that he didn't know what to do with me because he couldn't have sex with me. And then on the other end of the spectrum, my mom was terrified that I was going to get pregnant. And so I had the energy on one side from my dad that was hypersexual. And then the messages of, of shaming sexuality on the other side and the product of that was a lot of very confusing messages about like what is okay and not okay sexually mm -hmm. um, that really, really impacted me, my sexuality, uh, the partners that I chose throughout my life. And I never, I never would have really called that sexual abuse before, but through my, my own therapy and, um, and everything that I learned in NARM, realizing how how important it is for me to be able to name that and, and claim that and, and say that I am, I'm working to heal from that. Yeah. I remember when I was going through and thank you so much for sharing that story uh, with, with us for sure, because I can relate to it in a lot of different ways. When I was going through training for hypnotherapy, they had this continuum of things that, that can constitute 
sexual abuse, right. uh, which can go from uh, any kind of messages or like what my uh, my dad used to have Playboy magazine around the house and yeah, or you know, sort of things that they would say or posters or, mm-hmm. you know, things that are a little bit more down the line on the spectrum. And so it, it's it's really the person's uh, experience with those things and how they take it in and, and how they interpret mm-hmm. things. Right. And like mm-hmm. what you said, you could, you could go through what you went through and, um, mm-hmm. and come out of it. It just really confused. Yeah. And I'm obviously kind of, you know, making the story short for the purposes of this. There, there were, there were a lot of, of other things that went on that, that made it very clear that, Things in our household and sex were were not not healthy and and not appropriate for for children, right? And and I, for the longest time, I I would shame myself for any you know any any behavior that was like you know out outside of the quote unquote norm, you know, in terms of like sexual experimentation or or partners or kinks or whatever shaming myself rather than giving the responsibility back to my parents who set the stage for for some of those experiences. Yeah, and and then knowing in context that they, the parents anyway, they have learned what they've learned from their own parents and it's sort of a generational thing that trickles down. And so I like to think of it as there's really no blame. There's just sort of understanding about where things came from and uh, context uh, to what has happened. And so then we're left with our own work, right? So this is what we've got. And this is how it's affecting our lives. And I just have to ask you, do you ever use the the adverse childhood experiences uh, that, uh, that, uh, what is it called? Just the ACEs Mm -hmm. test. Mm-hmm. I don't okay. I don't use the ACEs test necessarily. I mean, I, I think it's a I think it's a good start. And um, have you heard of Veronique Mead before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess she really expands on it. I got to interview her for Transforming Trauma. And I think her episode will come out in the, sometime in the spring. Um, but it, she really expands on the ACEs, which I really love and, and teases out a lot more nuance and and kind of puts them in different categories. And then also, you know, we need to be thinking about larger than just the individual family system, right? So the systemic stuff, like if people experience poverty and racism and classism and all that sort of stuff, and then also what's happening in the environment. So there's there's an image called the three realms of ACEs, which really puts all of the pieces together, which as a social worker, you know, our motto is person and environment, right? So looking at all of the components that that influence the way that a, that a person adapting to that, sometimes right. maladaptive and, and sometimes not. Yeah. And, and when you look at the, even when you look at just the ACEs without uh, that expanded model, which I'm going to be really interested in, in uh, listening to your podcast on transforming trauma. Yeah. When you just look at the ACEs, there's just a bunch of like, when you read through the questions, there's 10 questions. And apparently if you score anything over a two, you're at risk for having some sort of health problems. Although I refuse those suggestions uh, completely, but the research says that, and then looking at my own score (laughs) thinking, you know, I've got an eight 
So mm -hmm. my ACEs score is eight. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's pretty sobering when you think of, of the body that you're in that has been through so much trauma. And um, yeah, so I just kind of wanted to put that out there for anybody who's listening that if you do look up the ACEs test, it might be triggering for you. So create a safe mm -hmm. space for yourself, right? Like just like Sarah was saying. Mm -hmm. So creating a, a safe space for you, if you don't want to look at the questions, um, that's, that's fine, but just know that it, they may be triggering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so when we think about chaos and trauma, I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are, because a lot of people from my channel have been asking me about the pandemic and the time that we're in right now. The, almost the number one question they asked me is, do you think that the pandemic is going to create in the future PTSD in people. And I just thought I'd get your opinion about that just because you are a trauma-informed trauma. I would say you're a trauma expert just with your qualifications that you have. <laughs> what do you think about that question about COVID and the time that we're in and possibly in the future, we would have, we'll have uh, post-traumatic stress disorders increasing. It's interesting. I think that post-traumatic stress disorder is the only, I think that and, and reactive attachment disorder, the only like trauma disorders we have in the DSM right now. And mm -hmm. it's really not sufficient in capturing the, the human experience and how we respond to trouble, right? Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say that everyone is going to develop PTSD, but I do, we are all traumatized. By this experience 100% no question about it and I'm I'm actually quite curious and um, and afraid of of the children that are experiencing this right now and don't really understand what's happening but they're just feeling the stress from their parents and their teachers and and whoever else might be in their lives or or they're not getting the food that they need or not getting the nurturing that they need because their parents are trying to work and you know, all just all the stuff that's going on. I just I, I really worry what's going to happen to the younger generation right now. Right? Yeah. And I and when you were talking, I was thinking of the, you know, K through not K through 12, but K through six, the littler ones, mm -hmm. and the ones that I work with that are adolescents, the ones who didn't get to go to their graduations, who didn't get to go to college, uh, they had to go virtually or didn't right. get to go at all. And yeah, I, I do worry about the younger people. And I've made no secret about saying that as well. Do you think it's a PTSD sort of a thing? Or like, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts about an expanded sort of model for, for trauma, because I've definitely seen people who who have a lot of trauma that affects their behavior in real life, mm -hmm. but they don't meet the criteria for PTSD. It just seems that there should be a little bit more in there right. for these folks. Well, I think that complex post-traumatic stress disorder is on tap to, I don't know if it'll end up in the next DSM, but it was included in the next ICD. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing that that'll come out, but I, I think that there are more subtle expressions of trauma disorders. I mean, I really think like literally everything is probably a, a product of trauma, right? Even, even depression and anxiety, you know, the, the chronic stress on a child's nervous system is going to create changes in the brain. 
right? right? So it, it, literally everything could be stemming from trauma. So because of, because of the experience of chronic stress over the past year, I, yes, I think that's going to come out, unfortunately, sideways for so many people. I mean, I, I don't know about your practice, but we, we have 10 therapists on staff right now. Everybody's full and the, the referrals just keep coming. Everybody is asking for help right now. We've just, we've never seen anything like this. And I think there are a lot of people, the people that I see reaching out now, right now tend to, to feel more desperate. Like, like this is the absolute like last hope. And unfortunately therapists are just bursting at the seams right now. There's not enough therapists. We're trying to hire. We're struggling to find the right people to hire for our practice too. So there's not enough therapists, right? Like I think it's so funny that that sometimes therapists think they're in competition with one another. There is no competition. We every single one of us is needed. I'm so glad to hear you say that. I used to have a couple of employees working for me, but then they've gotten, all three of them have gotten other jobs somewhere else and then the pandemic hit. So it's just been me. And yes, yeah. I have been inundated with requests and especially if you're paneled with insurance that there's just a lot of need out there for sure. So I'm just mm -hmm. really happy to hear even you with like 10, you have 10 employees. Yeah. And you are having problems being able to support the need in uh, your community. So I, I, yeah. I know that's not a, a good thing to feel happy about, but it just really feels validating to me. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, this is what I see every, every therapist that I talk to. And we're, you know, I, I don't think there's been enough talk about how therapists are really on the front line right now. I mean, there is, we're in a mental health crisis and the mental health fallout is going to continue even when COVID is quote unquote over, which still I know is probably a couple years from now before things return to whatever normal is going to look like moving forward. But, but we are stressed. We are, we have been hurting, right? And if, if we don't get the support that we need, we're not going to be able to help anybody else. We're being traumatized right now too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we're humans. And mm -hmm. yeah, so, well, when I think about uh, the work that we do to help people who are able to get into therapy, uh, I do think of a couple of different things. And I think for the broader umbrella, I think of, well, we want to be able to decrease uh, the risk factors and increase the protective factors in families or within yourself or whatever, to be able to help people have more resources and so less vulnerability, that kind of thing. And that's the broad way of the way I think about things anyhow. Uh, what is it that your um, you, your approach is to, uh, you know, a person who, who just kind of comes in and says, I really need help. And they're in an environment that is uh, really sort of toxic. And I don't like that word, but there mm -hmm. it did. It just came out. How, how are we able to help the people who are in environments that are really not, uh, I guess, serving their highest good is probably a better way to say it. It's funny, before I did the NARM training, I probably would have had a really different answer for you. But now, because NARM is not goal-oriented, I, I don't put, I, I wouldn't put it on a client to, to think like, you have to leave this toxic environment. 
Um, I'm more am really trying to, again, reflect back to a client what it is they want for themselves. So let's just say there's a client who is in a marriage that's not serving them, right? And in my head, I might be thinking like, oh my God, you've got to leave this marriage. This is not going to work. But to impose that, that goal on the client, we're just going to continue to butt heads. So really, really, Narm just asks, okay, what do you want for yourself? You want peace? Great. Let's look at what gets in the way of peace. And then what often happens is the awareness will start to really arise about the things that are truly getting in the way. And often, like for, for this client, quote unquote, let's say, you know, uh, realizations come to them about like, oh, maybe I'm not able to communicate with this person. Maybe this person and I don't have the same values anymore, right? So it's less about me knowing what it is that a client needs in order to be healthy, but them coming to the realization just based on the continued reflection back of what they want. Right. And when you were saying that about what do you want for yourself? Uh, well, you'd said that before, but you just repeated it uh, now in that example. I started thinking about some of the clients I have who struggle with self-sabotage. Yeah. And I'm curious about how you are able to help people get out of their own way. Because what you said about what do you want for yourself and what is in the way, sometimes it is the actual person. Right. Yeah. Well, it, it it really honestly it totally depends. But so let's see how can I how can I put this? Because the exploration with the client, we're really looking at. So so, let's just say like you want peace for yourself, and you're struggling with I don't know food or something like that. And 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 I would I would just continue to ask more about it. Like, okay, tell me about your relationship with food and, and what happens with this. And so we can kind of de deconstruct different experiences. And often what happens is whenever a client touches into when they feel most alive and when they feel um, like they're, I don't know, I don't want to say becoming the best version of themselves, but like really touching their aliveness, mm -hmm. it's actually terrifying. And so we shut that down. And so that may be where the self-sabotage comes in is they start to really feel themselves. And then like, uh oh, I got to shut that down because when I was a child, if I was too big, then I would I would get chastised for it. And then, you know, messages come in about we're pressuring ourselves or we're judging ourselves and then just noticing that that happens. And over time, more space is often created between, you know, the aliveness and the judgment. And then, and then the other piece of it is Narm talks about un, unprocessed emotions. Well, I don't know if unprocessed is the right word, essentially, but um, emotions that we that were thwarted. So protest and and grief. So protest becomes anger. So in in my household, I can just say um, my dad was the only one allowed to get angry. So I shut down my anger. Anytime I had any protest about anything, it was it was shut down. I honestly, truly did not think I felt anger up until like two years ago when I started mm -hmm. getting NARM therapy because I was just like, oh, I just go straight to sadness. But NARM differentiates default emotions and primary emotions. And the default emotion for me was, was grief and sadness. I could be sad all day long. I can give you all the tears, but, that, but I actually really needed to get in touch with and process my anger. 
Mm. Um, and so that's another part of it too, is if a client has, has not allowed themselves to get angry at their parents for X, Y, Z, um, if they've not been able to feel sad about the things that they didn't get early in childhood, um, those pieces often are parts of what's getting in the way of, of actualizing themselves. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of especially women that I deal with that aren't allowed to, or they don't allow themselves to experience anger. And right. what we're what we're taught in hypnotherapy is that we go there and we we try and find what's hurting and heal it. Uh, mm. And sometimes it involves some sort of energy release. And this might get into some of the other ways that you practice, which is uh, Reiki and chakra systems and everything. So when we talk about anger, a lot of women feel very uncomfortable expressing anger. And yet that is a lot of energy that's in the body system yes. that could be released in, in a way that doesn't involve the parents or anything. Mm -hmm. They can just release it and, and be able to find some sort of relief and uh, some sort of a healing from that process. And so, yeah, I, I love using hypnotherapy on, on people to, to where they're able to release uh, the energy, but I do find it hard sometimes when there's emotions of anger that that people aren't allowing themselves to even experience or or express. And I just again sort of roll with it. Uh, yeah. how, how how are you able to do that? Well, I guess my questions, you know, I, I, I would. I would ask somebody more about like what happens when, if I see the anger start to arise, right? Like, you know, as therapists, we can generally like sense what the feeling is that's mm -hmm. there. And if I'm sensing anger and the client is not expressing anger, I'm just asking more questions about it to, again, like we want the client to be able to come to this rather than create some sort of release. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, again, I like to think that the, the release or the, the moving through or whatever is a byproduct of, of the inquiry, essentially. So I'm going to ask a client to tell me just to tell me more, right? And if I'm like, huh, I, I, I'm feeling angry right now. I wonder if you feel angry at all. Sometimes we can invite that in. And my therapist told me at the beginning when we started working together, she's like, your anger is just shy because it would kind of poke out just a little bit. And then I would judge myself or shame myself for having it because I wasn't allowed to have it in childhood. And, and so if, if we see that with a client, you know, I would, I would, I've said the same thing to many clients before just saying like, Oh, maybe your anger is just shy. And, and, mm -hmm. and what was, what was important about shutting down your anger as a child? Right. So, so looking at how that survival strategy has, has moved through into adulthood. I love that. I love that. Well, how are you, you are trained to do energy uh, psychology and uh, healing. And uh, so uh, what, what I've learned from my training in, in energy healing is that uh, there are sometimes disruptions in your energy field due to a traumatic event that, uh, that may need to be resolved in the body. Now I see that you're, uh, you do Reiki and all that other stuff. And I'm just really um, uh, wanting to know a little bit more about how you're able to energetically work with a client in their, in their physical body or help them to learn how to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, it, it looks different for different people. You know, there, there are clients where um, we've done hands-on, and this is pre-pandemic, of course, but where we've done, you know, hands-on sort of Reiki sessions in accompaniment to therapy. There are folks who I send to practitioners. I love when people go to acupuncture. I think acupuncture moves chi and energy like none other. Um, you know, so so it can look a host of different ways, but I think what's so freaking cool about the chakra system is that what whatever like whatever showing up in the body is always mirrored in in what's gone on in different chakras, right? Have you read Anadea Judith's um, Eastern Body, Western Mind? No, no, I Get haven't. That book, it's so good. It's basically like an encyclopedia of what what manifests physically and emotionally and spiritually based on where the chakra deficiencies were like you know bo both of my parents died of of heart chakra related illnesses my mom died of breast cancer my dad died of a heart attack both of them really struggled to be in touch with their hearts in their life my dad was very disconnected a narcissist and my mom was like overly like very codependent adult child of an alcoholic, right? So it's just so interesting to me. And, and you know, if a client is interested in, in talking that way too, that's a language that I love to speak. Um, mm -hmm. But you don't have to believe in chakras and all that sort of stuff to, to experience energy healing. I also think of my energy field, if, if I... If I'm attending to the health of my own energy field, that's going to impact my client, whether they are physically in front of me or whether it's just an energetic experience that can happen over the screen. I, I think, I mean, I still feel what's happening for my clients even over the screen. I, I don't, I don't notice a difference necessarily. And in fact, in some instances, it even feels more intimate because we're actually closer than we would be if we were in person. That's a good point. Yeah. And and it's interesting, though, sometimes people can feel a little bit more disconnected over the screen, others are a little bit more intense. But mm -hmm. yeah, you do, you do sense the emotions that are coming up for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, and I have been trained to do emotional freedom technique, which is yeah, tapping, tapping, tapping yep. right? Mm -hmm. I and bring that out from time to time, too. Yeah, it's great to be able to have a resource like that and say, Okay, well, this is helping the amygdala to know that you're safe, you know, because you're you're tapping on on this point or whatever point. And uh, even if they are, if they're even remotely willing to do some sort of an energy technique, I will introduce that to them. I will introduce that to them before we even do hypnotherapy. So I have people who want to be hypnotized, but I say, no, we got to learn EFT first, because if we do that, uh, then you'll have a resource in case you go into shock uh, in in uh, in the hypno in the hypnotic trance and all that other stuff, and because yeah. it can be really super hard for people to re-experience things, and so that's mm -hmm. the acupuncture without needles sort right. of thing. Yeah, so, and there's awesome. an app. I think it's called the Tapping Solution. Um, it it was at the beginning of the pandemic. It was free for healthcare professionals. I actually haven't looked at it in a minute. It's it's so mm -hmm. funny. There are so many tools out there that are so great and helpful. I forget about all of them sometimes. But that I was using regularly at the beginning of the pandemic just to settle my nervous system mm -hmm. even a little bit. 
I didn't know they had an app. That's the Ortners, right? Uh, yeah. So Nick and uh, yep. Jessica Ortner. Yes, I go to their Tapping World Summit every year. And cool. I love them and they're great. So I didn't know they had an app. Thanks so much for letting me know. You're and welcome. that just is, is a kind of a daily practice. Uh, it's, it's essentially kind of like a meditation app. So you can go in and choose. They have a bunch of different scripts for different, different ailments and issues. And at the beginning of the pandemic, they had a, a ton that of course were around like feeling, feeling safe in, in yourself when it's not safe in the world. Yeah. I know I, I love listening to Jessica Ortner's tapping meditations. And one of them she did was when my body betrays me. Mm. And since I when since I work with so many people who struggle with body image and eating uh, issues, I love just sort of having that it's like an MP three or an MP four yeah. file just to be able to, to give to them. And it is so powerful, just the way that you make peace, you can make peace with your own body when you feel like, like maybe you're in pain, mm -hmm. or maybe it's, uh, it's not the size or the shape that you want, but being able to adjust the energy that you have about your body. Here we are being partners in this thing called living. We are body, mind, spirit, soul. Yeah. And I love the way that she, I don't know if she writes her tapping meditations, but I just can't say enough about that. I'm going to see if I can get that app and also put a link. Tim, I already put the, the link in the chat. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah, great. I saw that come up. That's great. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. So, Wonderful. Yeah. And so, uh, so how are these things as far as um, treatment modalities? Uh, are they do you think that they're actually working to help people heal? I know a lot of our listeners really are hurting out there. And I just want to give them some hope that these things that we are doing as therapists are actually you're seeing some progress and some healing happen. So I don't know that you need to tell a story specifically, but mm -hmm. do you really see healing happen in your sessions? Honestly, and I, I don't ever want to be that person who's like, this therapy is the thing, but I've not seen people progress like I have with NARM. Mm -hmm. And I, I have one client who I know wouldn't, wouldn't mind me telling you just a very like, you know, kind of pulled out version of her story, but she, she thrived in 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, she, I, I encouraged her to go to onsite right before the pandemic started because she was just struggling in, in her primary relationship. So she went to onsite, um, experienced, a, you know, through experiential therapy, right, had a bit of a, an awakening, and then brought it into session with me and just transformed this year. She just is flourishing. And she's like, I know everybody else had the worst year of their lives, but 2020 was the best year of mine. And, and a lot of it was the gains that, that she was able to make by getting out of her own way. And, and all of, all I did was use NARM with her this, this whole last year. Wow. You've yeah. almost convinced me to go to that online training um, because <gasps> I, really, I do want to do it now that you're, <laughs> we've talked about it. It's just so different than, than yeah. the things that I've been trained to do. And I always so like different. alternative therapies. And it's, you know, the thing about NARM is it's very, it's very intuitive 
and it's not scripted. There are there are pillars and there are definitely things that you do, but it looks so different with every client. And it also depends on really you doing your own healing work and mm -hmm. you as a therapist really being in tune with what's what's showing up for you in the room. It's it has transformed my life. It really has. So yes, every therapist, I want every therapist to get trained in NARM to have like more of a NARM community. I am totally on board with that. I, I am. So getting out of your own way, um, being able to heal the parts of you that are energetically hurt, uh, just all this good stuff. I've had also people in you're doing all your work online. So the, the work that you've done with that client that you were talking about was all online. online. I know I've, I have probably about half of my caseload right now. I've never actually met in person because they, I yeah. got, they got picked up along the way with this last year of the pandemic. Yeah. And um, so I've been able to do a couple of really good healing. Uh, you know, I've, I have a couple of really good healing stories. And one mm -hmm. in particular being able to come back into the office. Now I'm seeing some people in person and just being able to share that space with that person. It's just an interesting, like, I cannot believe we did that much work online. And then this yeah. person is right here and we're still doing work together. And it's, it's amazing just the growth that can happen. So I, I would want to encourage people that regardless if it's in person or online, you healing can happen. I guess. Yes. Absolutely. Right. I mean, yeah, on, online, it does, it doesn't matter. And I'm, I'm truthfully so glad we have this opportunity now. Right. And, and it's also, it's giving therapists more freedom, right? It gives clients more freedom, but it also gives therapists more freedom. And, and I, I don't think until now we've really been honest with, with just how hard it is on therapists to do this job and, and to be able to stay true to ourselves and stay connected to ourselves as therapists. If we don't do that, we're really not, not serving our clients. Right. Yeah. So therapists, maybe this whole, the whole, and, and I don't want to speculate about the whole purpose of the pandemic and everything, but maybe because there's been so much mental health if, issues that have arisen from it, maybe it's, it's just sort of time to call attention to the fact that everybody has mental health issues and everybody has yes. trauma. We just need to attend to it. Yes. And, and I, I really think we need better education about trauma in grad schools. I mean, I left grad school not thinking that or thinking that I didn't have trauma. My parents were divorced. That was the only ace I could identify at the time. I think I think over the last you know twelve years since I graduated, we've learned more about trauma as well. Um, but I think we could do a lot better job integrating it into schools. And I mean, if we really had trauma informed education, like think about if all parents were trauma informed, or if all you know, elementary school teachers were trauma informed, and it just kept going along the lines, pediatricians, right? Like NARM is is working um, with, um, I don't even remember what her title is, but somebody who's super important and informs policy <laughs> based on the research that's happening. You know, they're, they're trying to get more doctors to be norm informed, more pediatricians. So, so that when a child comes in and there is a clear sign of trauma that a therapist could recognize that the doctor can, can make some recommendations around that. So, I mean, our world would just transform if we were all more trauma informed.
And I agree about the medical professionals too, especially in my field with eating disorders, the eating disorder informed doctors and the physicians, it just to be able to understand the intricacies that are involved with, with people who struggle in those ways for sure. Yeah. Well, I think I'm going to get more informed about NARM. I think you've pretty much sold me about that. Yay! Yeah. And oh my gosh, it's been so great being able to talk to you. Is there anything else you want to add about trauma, PTSD, anything about your own practice or about your podcasts? Maybe we should talk about your podcasts because there, sure. there's two of them. And I'd love for my listeners to be able to go to them and find more information about you. You've got conversations conversations with a wounded healer. That's, that's the first one. What, what would you like to say about that one? So that's my podcast. The other one is really the NARM podcast that I'm hired to host. Um, So conversations with a wounded healer was just, it was really born out of, you know, I do a lot of presenting and I was seeing a lot of therapists who, who weren't for many, many reasons doing their own work. And so this was really, I just wanted to have more conversations about why it's important. I wanted people who were thinking about going into the mental health profession to know that we're all wounded healers. And that's my favorite piece of feedback that I get from a listener when somebody says like, oh, I thought I was too broken or I was too crazy or I was too this or that. I thought I had to have my stuff figured out before I, I became a therapist and I'm like, no, we're this parallel process. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, those are really the conversations. And, and I've, I've also been very candid about my own healing process again, in service of, of helping people understand that, that, you know, just because you're a therapist, your, your growth and healing and, and the pain doesn't stop. <laughs> That is so true. Mm-hmm. I love that you said that because yeah, I have PTSD and I do have a lot of trauma. My, like I said, my ACEs score is eight and yeah. that's pretty high for yeah. um, anybody, but you know, mm-hmm. and there are people out there who think that, you know, just because you're a therapist, you have to have it all together and you can't right. get triggered or you can't have trauma or whatever, right. but it's certainly not, not the truth at all. So right. that is conversations with a wounded healer. It, mm-hmm. uh, it examines. And so you, interview therapists and their their experiences being a therapist and or healer and also mm-hmm. having trauma. Yeah, therapists and and actually all sorts of people because you know we're in the in the starting the fourth year. We just had our three year anniversary. Wow. And so um you know in the middle of season three right now and, and recognizing that really everybody is a healer. It, it depends mm-hmm. on how you define healer and how you de- define wounded, you know, what that means for you. But, you know, I've had uh, tarot readers and astrologists and teachers and nurses and, and all sorts of people, not just therapists. Awesome. Well, yeah, we yeah. all have our own medicine, even right. hey, just my neighbor down the street has has her own medicine, and he has his own medicine. And That's we right. all do. For sure. Mm-hmm. So tell us about the NARM one, the Transforming Trauma podcast that you are hosting. Yeah, so that's been around for a little over a year. And I still don't even really know how we ended up doing it. But I signed on and, and you know, a lot of the conversations are with NARM trained therapists, other NARM students. But we've also had uh, Gabor Mate was on really early in the podcast. I've talked with Dick Schwartz. Um, I just finished a conversation with Deb Dana that will probably be out this summer. 
we're working on Bessel van der Kolk. Mm -hmm. Um, so right. Yeah. So we're, you know, we're, we're trying to have conversations with, with anybody who's, who's working with trauma, who, uh, wants to heal from trauma. And, uh, it's just, it's been really so cool to get to, I'm, I'm deepening my education. I'm expanding what I already understand about trauma. And it's, it's funny that you're like, Oh, you're a trauma professional. I feel like I know this much about trauma that, but that's what's so, I mean, it's such an immense thing to, to try to, you know, wrap words around. It's, it's Mm -hmm. just so complex. And so the more people that can can learn about it, the better. And we really hope with the podcast that it's accessible, not just to professionals, but also any any person who wants healing themselves. That is so important. And that's one of the reasons why I started my podcast is so that I'd have mm-hmm. something to where if I couldn't provide services, like, well, hello, we <laughs> we're really un- inundated with with requests for for services is that there's there's some sort of self help or something out there for people. Mm-hmm. And this is part of it, uh, Sarah, and I, I do. Right. I appreciate you being part of it for sure. Yeah. Um, so her website is, uh, I think it's, is it transforming? Oh, why don't I have Head that? Heart Therapy, headhearttherapy.com. Headheart-therapy. Yep. Headhearttherapy.com. And she's also on Instagram and she has two podcasts and anything else you want to say, you are actually an adjunct faculty member as well at a couple mm-hmm. of universities. Um, anything else you want to say about yourself or how you think that um, people can support you and your work in the future? Because I really do believe the world needs more people like you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I think connecting on Instagram at Head Heart Therapy is my favorite place and checking out the podcast. And if you are a, a therapist, I really, I really love mentoring therapists and teaching other therapists and encouraging therapists to do their work. So any of those areas I, I love to connect on. I really, I love making relationships and, uh, and spreading the love. So that's, that's me. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and put the link to this after it gets published in my, my Facebook therapists group so that they'll hear that. And maybe you will find that somebody from Washington state reaches out to you. I hopefully you won't mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'd be lovely to connect. Yeah, and it's been great to to listen to you and to hear all about what you do and the the ways that we we heal are are all so different. And it's always yes. good to know that there's something else that I can get trained in. <laughs> right. Well, I hope I see you this weekend then. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the meantime, um, we'll just uh, we'll keep in touch and take care. Is there any? I just want to make sure that we look to the audience to see if there's any questions. Anybody have any? questions out there i see jd is there jd and tim are chatting it up uh jd likes to pretend that she plays the spoons although i'm not really sure if she actually does (laughs) and then there's uh tracy i'm not sure if tracy is still there but i saw you earlier and then there's somebody from yeah i think she's somebody that you know dorothy but if somebody has any questions, then we'll we'll uh, stay around for just a couple more minutes. But looks like people are heading out. Yeah. Oh, look at this! My trusty wrench said that Sarah is pretty amazing. <laughs> pretty Thanks, amazing. Tim. 
<laughs> yeah. Both of these ladies are wonderful. So much good stuff here. Mm. I agree. I think that uh, we have a lot to offer and a lot of encouragement for people who are struggling with, with trauma or may not know how to name it and yeah. just feel not great and or get triggered by things that people are saying, like, well, why is that upsetting you? I, I really do think that uh, people can just know that there's a there's a lot of different sorts of healing modalities that mm -hmm. can be used to treat trauma. Absolutely. So. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm just going to close and uh, we will talk to you in the future. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. You too. Thank you for listening to Calming the Chaos. If the information in today's podcast was helpful, please consider subscribing and share it with your friends. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. You can also go to my website at www.lokahicounseling.com for more resources for calming your mental and emotional chaos. This includes a CD I created that teaches you how to practice mindfulness in less than 10 minutes. So check it out. Thanks again for listening. And I look forward to sharing my next podcast episode with you. In the meantime, take care.